Welcome to episode 18 of Life Insurance HQ, the podcast. Today is May 18th, 2022. I am your host, Jason Maracle, and I want to thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to talk specifically about naming your beneficiary. We're going to talk about some of the best practices, some of the questions that come up, and do our best to help provide you with a little bit more information when it comes to life insurance beneficiary designations. If you are interested in learning more about Life Insurance HQ, the podcast, as well as uh, any of the information that we include on this podcast, you can visit us at miracleco.com. That's Emma's and Mary, E-R-I-C-L-E-C-O.com. Or you can email us at lihq at miracleco.com. So let's get into it. Naming your life insurance beneficiary. Let's start with kind of the most basic part of naming your beneficiary. Typically on an application, you're going to have a primary beneficiary and a contingent beneficiary. And a primary beneficiary, you can have more than one. You can name as many as you like, essentially. But the primary beneficiary is going to be the person or trust or entity that receives the death benefit. If the primary beneficiary passes away before the insured and there are no additional primary beneficiaries, then the death benefit will be paid to the contingent beneficiary or contingent beneficiaries. So the contingent beneficiary only really comes into play when one or all of the primary beneficiaries predecease the insured. And so let's talk about whether or not the uh, owner of the policy can change the beneficiary at any time. And In most cases, the policy owner is able to change the beneficiary every year, every three years, essentially as often as they like. They can add beneficiaries, they can remove beneficiaries, but there are certain exceptions and certain things you want to look out for. Um, You are able to name what's called an irre or designate what's called an irrevocable beneficiary. with the insurance company. And what this means is when we have an irrevocable beneficiary, both the owner of the policy and the beneficiary must consent to the change in writing. So that's one of those situations where the policy owner is going to need the beneficiary to sign off on it as well. You may have some situations and it may not make sense to potentially change Um, the owner or beneficiary of an irrevocable life insurance trust. So the next question that comes up is, can a policy owner change the beneficiary of their policy via their last will and testament? And the, the simple answer to this is life insurance policy is a contract. And the terms of those contracts typically supersede the terms of a last will and testament. And so as an example, if a will and a life insurance policy designate different beneficiaries to receive insurance proceeds, then the proceeds will be paid to the beneficiary designated in the policy. 
And this is even going to be true in the event that the will may have been executed after the policy issue date. And so even though um, you may designate something in your last will and testament, unless you change that beneficiary on that policy, it's likely, more than likely, that the insurance carrier will pay the death benefit out to the beneficiary they have named in their files. Another great question that comes up, and I love this question, is how often should you review your de beneficiary designations? Um, a lot of people don't do this, you know, and things to look out for is, you know, have things changed? Has one of your beneficiaries passed away, for instance? Is one of your beneficiaries, you know, not held as highly within the family unit as they were when the policy was established? Are there potentially, you know, new beneficiaries that might exist? Um, what does that look like? So, you know, life insurance policy should really be treated like any other assets and, and reviewed on a, on a somewhat frequent basis. We generally recommend viewing, reviewing beneficiary designations at least every three year, years or, or sooner. Um, but certainly when there's been a death, a birth, a marriage, a divorce, anything like that, it makes sense to look at those beneficiary designations and update them as needed. Um, so let's talk about whether or not a benefit, uh, you know, how should a beneficiary designation that names multiple beneficiaries be addressed? And this is a really good one. Okay, because in a lot of cases, we're going to have more than one primary beneficiary. Um, it may be um, a spouse, it may be two kids, et cetera, et cetera. So when we have more than one beneficiary, each beneficiary must be identified on the application or the beneficiary designation form. And a specific percentage of the death benefit should be applied to each beneficiary or a specified dollar amount. So if you have two beneficiaries and you have a million dollar policy and they're 50-50 beneficiaries, then if something happens to you, then they're each going to get 500,000. Now there are situations where one beneficiary, you may give access to 75% of the death benefit and the other beneficiary access to 25%. So in that example, Beneficiary A will receive $750,000 and beneficiary B will receive $250,000. And so it's important to understand how they've been broken down. And the policy owner, you know, let's take a situation where we have um, dad and he's got two adult children and he wants to make sure that if one of those kids predeceases him, that his grandchildren have access to their portion of the death benefit. And so in this case, we'll typically see a designation for uh, purse derpies, um, which, you know, essentially means by right of representation or per capita, uh, which is how the death benefit is going to be transferred to essentially generation three, if something happens to generation two. So let's 
let's talk about per stirpes um, for a minute. So let's say we have dad who's generation one and within generation two, um, we have three children. Okay. So child A, B, and C. And let's say we've got A, B, and C named as the beneficiaries, um, but C passes away. And so we don't, uh, so we want to make sure that C's children or generation three have access to the death benefit she would have otherwise had access to. So because, because we have a per stirpes designation, what would happen is let's say we have a, let's say a $3 million policy and we have three beneficiaries. Again, beneficiary C has passed away, but beneficiary C has two children. And so dad passes away. Beneficiary A is going to receive one third or $1 million of the $3 million death benefit. Same with beneficiary B. Now, beneficiary C, since it's per stirpes, is their children are going to equally divide the million dollars that C would have otherwise received had C lived. Now, when we're in a situation where we've designated a per capita method of distribution to our beneficiaries, Essentially, what that's going to mean is in our example where we have that $3 million policy and we have A, B, and C, but C is gone. Well, now C's children are going to step into C's position in the beneficiary line. And so now, instead of the $3 million being divided equally three ways and then split among C's two, two children, it's going to be split four ways. So child A, generation one, child A and child B are each going to receive 25%. And C's children, now that she's gone, are also going to receive 25%. So instead of A and B receiving 750,000, I'm sorry, a million, they're each going to receive 750,000. Instead of C's children only receiving 500,000, they're each going to receive 750,000. So that's per stirpes versus per capita. Now, a lot of people ask the question, you know, can I name a minor child as a beneficiary of policy? You can. Um, we, we generally really encourage people not to do this. Um, because a lot of times if something happens to you and a minor is listed as a beneficiary, you know, a, a guardian or conservator will need to be appointed in order for them to receive those pr proceeds and also administer those funds for the benefit of that minor until they reach uh, the age of majority at age 18. Um, the other side to that is we really, uh, most people don't want their 18 year olds having access to significant amounts of money just because of uh, obvious reasons. The other thing is guardian appointments and conservatorships can be expensive. There may be situations where the need for the court to appoint 
somebody to perform this task on behalf of the miner um, may need to be done. And in those situations, you're going to have a court, court appointed conservator or guardian who may or may not know anything about that child, their circumstances, um, their level of, uh, you know, their lifestyle, what they're accustomed to. Um, so, you know, a lot of times we'll recommend, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, is naming a trust as the beneficiary. Um, this allows you to name your trustee. It allows the, it gives the trustee instructions on how the death benefit is going to be distributed or to be distributed and um, is a much cleaner and better way uh, when you are trying to provide a financial benefit to somebody who hasn't attained the age of 18 or, or you know, we've seen it until they attain the age of 35, you know, up until that point, they may be able to asset, access trust assets for purposes of, you know, health maintenance education, but that's simply to reimburse for those expenses. They don't have access for the, the entire death benefit. So you can set it up so that up until 35, they can access it for, you know, and this is based on the trustee's discretion, health maintenance and education, welfare, whatever you want to call it. But that's all they can access it for until they reach 35. And then at 35, they can have access to the whole thing. You may say 50. I don't care. Um, you can do whatever you want. Here's another consideration to think about, especially if you have a child with special needs. And we talked about this a few podcasts ago. ago. You know, the owner of a policy must be very cautious when designating an individual with special needs as the beneficiary, because receipt of those proceeds could certainly make the special needs individual ineligible for government assistance. And so, if we have a special needs child or other relative who receives government assistance, like supplemental uh, social security income or Medicaid or funds from other government funded programs, any proceeds from a life insurance policy received in excess of $2,000 may disqualify them from the assistance of those programs. And so in special needs family, special needs planning, scenarios with life insurance, we prefer that instead of designating the individual with the special needs as the beneficiary is to establish a special needs trust that is established to benefit the individual with the special needs. And then the proceeds um, received by that trust can provide the funds needed to help maintain and improve the life of the special uh, needs individuals without really, without jeopardizing their eligibility for government programs. And so we, we definitely like the use of a special needs trust when doing that type of planning. Um, the question a lot of time comes up, does divorce terminate a beneficiary spouse interest in a policy? And the answer is, it depends. You know, it's common for the owner of an insurance contract to name their spouse as a beneficiary of the policy. My spouse is the beneficiary of mine. In the instance where divorce may occur, you know, some would think that the beneficiary spouse's rights would terminate. 
but that's not always uh, the case. In about half the states, there are laws where um, divorce will immediately void any beneficiary designations in favor of the former spouse, unless there's a clear contract between the spouses or a court order to the contrary. Uh, divorces do not necessarily, in certain places, terminate a former spouse's right to receive death benefits. And so this is one of those where if you're going through a divorce, talk to your attorney, because again, it's going to depend from each, from each state to state as far as how they treat that. In a lot of the divorce cases we've been involved with, one of the spouses or both of the spouses have a requirement to carry some form of life insurance, death benefit, or a certain amount of death benefit for the benefit of their ex-spouse if something were to happen to them. So, but if divorce has occurred or it's about to occur, it's worth reviewing your beneficiary designations um, to make sure they're current and going to meet whatever your needs are. Now, in situations where a life insurance policy is owned in a qualified plan, and this doesn't typically happen a lot, but it does happen, you typically will need to name the qualified plan as the beneficiary of that policy. So that's something to keep in mind. And then those proceeds will, uh, upon distribution, if something is, if death benefit is to be paid, will likely be taxable depending on um, the type of qualified plan it is. But generally, it's going to be tax at ordinary income. This one comes up a lot too, is whether or not an insured estate should be named as the beneficiary of a life insurance policy. I generally don't like this. So let's say I have an insurance policy and it's for $5 million and I name my estate as the beneficiary. So beneficiary designation to the estate of Jason Miracle. And I die. Well, now that death benefit is one going to be includable and added to the value of my estate. So if I have a high enough net worth, it may create a scenario where an estate tax is owed. Okay. It will likely also create a scenario where that $5 million policy becomes a part of probate and includable for purposes of probate, which will most certainly add to the cost of the estate administration and uh, include delays and lead potentially to the court determining where those proceeds go. And last but not least, those proceeds will become a part of public record. That's why we like using trusts or naming actual beneficiaries. Um, the other thing it does is it makes those assets uh, accessible to any creditors that might exist in the estate. So we definitely prefer that you don't name your estate as a beneficiary. 
Um, what we do like is we like revocable trusts being named as the beneficiary. And we talked about this a little earlier. That's typically going to be a living trust. A revocable trust is anything that you as the insured can make changes to. Typically, revocable trusts, assets will be includable in the estate, but it allows uh, the grantor or the insured to specify language in that trust as to how the death benefit is to be received by the beneficiary. When we use a trust as a beneficiary, generally what the carriers will need is the, the trustee's name. So who's the trustee of the trust, the full name of the trust, the date the trust was established and the tax ID of the trust. This is either going to be a EIN number that has been separately applied for, or it may even be the insured social security number. It just depends. So, but what this does is it keeps that death benefit out of the estate. So it avoids probate expenses. It avoids estate taxes. It's not generally not included in the estate for purposes of creditor protection. And so it provides a tremendous amount of benefits for beneficiaries. Um, and a lot of times what will happen is like your spouse might be the beneficiary, but if something happens to your spouse, then it goes to your kids and it lays all that information out. Now, we've also talked about this in other podcasts is you know, when should I use an irrevocable life insurance trust? And so an irrevocable life insurance trust is really beneficial for those high net worth individuals who require liquidity in order to pay the estate tax, help pay ongoing expenses of an estate, pay off debt, et cetera, et cetera. And what an irrevocable trust does and, and what happens with an irrevocable trust is the irrevocable trust is generally going to be the owner and beneficiary of, of the life insurance policy. And the grantor is typically going to gift the premium payments to the trust. By using an irrevocable trust, what you're able to do is keep the death benefit outside of the estate. So what that means is if I'm worth $50 million, and I own a $10 million policy and I die, then the value of my estate is going to be 60 million, 50 million plus the $10 million death benefit. And I've now subjected that $10 million death benefit to a 40% federal estate tax, which I didn't have to do. So alternatively, I can set up an irrevocable trust, put that $10 million policy there. And when I die, the estate value is going to be 50 million and not 60 million that 10 million is going to get paid to the trust and then the trust can buy assets from the estate. So it's a great way for high net worth individuals and families to purchase necessary life insurance coverage for estate planning. Um, and then last but not least, there, there's a lot of questions when it comes to naming businesses and owners of businesses as beneficiaries of life insurance insurance policy. And there definitely are special considerations depending on what you're trying to accomplish. And we want to make sure um, that if an employer owns life insurance on an employee's life, um, we must comply with uh, IRC code section 101J to make sure the, 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 the death benefit proceeds are 
received income tax-free. And so generally you'll have to meet two requirements to satisfy that. Um, and you must file some certain forms uh, to make sure that happens. There's a lot more to consider when naming a business as a beneficiary. So we'd encourage you to consult with your attorney or your CPA or give us a call and we can help give you your direction, even though we don't provide tax advice or any legal advice. Um, but it's important to understand how that's going to work. And so as you can see, there are a, a number of things you need to consider when naming your beneficiary. The good news is unless you've named an irrevocable beneficiary, you can make changes as the owner as to who that beneficiary is. It makes sense and, and is encouraged to review those designations at a minimum every three years or when some type of life event happens. And so, um, and, and that could be the death of a beneficiary, that could be a divorce, could be a new family member, a new child, grandchild, et cetera, et cetera. In situations where you have a more complex structure, it makes sense to consider a revocable trust, perhaps an irrevocable trust, um, and definitely a special needs trust if, if there is a special needs um, child that, that or family member that you're going to take care of. So that is how you should name your beneficiaries, what you should do, best practices. Um, if you have any questions, you can email us at lihq at miraclesco.com. That's lihq at Mary E-R-I-C-L-E-C-O.com. Or you can visit us at miracleco.com. Thank you for joining us for episode 18. And we hope you have a great day. We'll look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye now.